Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 5th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for watching us. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal clarified the sudden and extraordinary requirement for psychiatric claims. Here's what happened in the case of Campos v. WCAB. Juan Campos was employed for less than six months as a tree climber when he sustained an industrial injury. He was cutting an 80-foot tree, and while suspended halfway up, the top of the tree fell, striking him in the chest. The work comp judge found that he sustained industrial injury caused by a sudden and extraordinary event of employment. The sudden and extraordinary requirement is specified in Labor Code Section 3208.3D for psychiatric claims involving workers with less than six months of employment. The judge relied upon the sudden nature of the incident and applicant's testimony that he had never been involved in a similar incident in making this finding. The state fund petitioned for reconsideration, arguing that the facts of this case do not meet the Labor Code's sudden and extraordinary requirements. The WCAB was not persuaded by the reasoning of the trial judge and granted reconsideration and they reversed the award. The board found that this incident cannot be considered unusual, unexpected, or extraordinary if the occupation requires such tasks. In an unpublished opinion, the Court of Appeal reversed the WCAB. The Court of Appeal was unable to find substantial evidence in the record to support the WCAB conclusion that the injury was a routine risk of the job. The WCAB conclusion may be reasonable, but without substantial evidence of some kind to support the conclusion, it cannot be upheld. The Court of Appeal also clarified the exclusive remedy provisions of the California Workers' Compensation Law last week. Here's what happened in the Singh v. Southland Stone case. Mr. Singh was an alien employee who was induced to come to the United States by Southland Stone to work as general manager. Within just a few months of his arrival, the employer reduced his promised salary and then pressured him to resign. After he agreed to resign, he was asked to sign a letter releasing the company of liability in exchange for his final checks. When he refused to sign this letter, Mr. Johar, the president, threatened to physically throw him out of the office and he actually grabbed him by the lapels of his shirt. When Mr. Singh finally returned to India, he filed suit against Southland Stone and Mr. Johar. He won his case after a jury trial. The jury award included compensatory damages for economic and emotional injuries in the amount of over $250,000 and $350,000 in punitive damages. The employer appealed. The Court of Appeal in a published decision ruled that the award of damages for intentional infliction of emotional distress is based on injuries suffered in the course and scope of employment. Workers' compensation provides the exclusive remedy for the emotional damages. An employer's intentional misconduct in connection with actions that are a normal part of the employment relationship, such as 
demotions, and criticism of work practices resulting in emotional injury is considered to be encompassed within the compensation bargain. Even if the misconduct could be characterized as manifestly unfair, outrageous, harassment, or intended to cause emotional disturbance, the exclusive remedy can apply. Workers' compensation ordinarily provides the exclusive remedy for such an injury. The workers' compensation exclusivity rule, however, does not preclude Mr. Singh's entire action. Conduct in which an employer steps out of its proper role as an employer or conduct of questionable relationship to the employment is not encompassed within the compensation bargain and is not subject to the exclusivity rule. Singh sought damages for intentional infliction of emotional distress based on evidence that Johar mistreated him at work. The Court of Appeal applied these principles and concluded that such misconduct all occurred in the normal course of the employer-employee relationship. Although the misconduct was offensive and clearly inappropriate, the court believed that it all arose from risks encompassed within the compensation bargain. This does not necessarily preclude an award of damages for emotional distress resulting from other injuries to which the exclusivity rule does not apply. The workers' compensation exclusivity rule does not apply to an injury resulting from conduct in violation of a fundamental public policy. Labor Code Section 970 establishes a fundamental public policy prohibiting a misrepresentation to induce a person to re relocate for employment. The exclusivity rule does not preclude an award of economic damages that do not derive from any physical or emotional injury. To the extent that any of these counts seek such damages, Mr. Singh is allowed to uh, receive his jury award. And now our fraud report. Dr. Munir Ueda, a Marina del Rey QME, who has been the target of several SIU fraud investigations, is now sought for questioning by the police in a high-profile murder case. The killing of Arizona model and aspiring actress Juliana Redding sent shockwaves through her upscale Santa Monica neighborhood in 2008. Kelly Sue Park, who lives in Camarillo, was arrested and charged with this murder over two years later. The case took an intriguing turn when prosecutors alleged that Park received hundreds of thousands of dollars from her employer, Dr. Ueda. Park was paid $250,000 three weeks before the grisly killing, and Park's family received another payment of over $113,000 from Ueda a few days before her June 18 arrest. Prosecutors claim that Ueda was in a failing business deal with the victim's father. Ueda is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon and is the majority owner of Frontline Medical Associates. He is listed as a QME in the DWC database with offices in San Fernando and in Oxnard, California. The Medical Board of California lists his address in Marina del Rey. A formal public charge has been filed by the medical board alleging Ueda violated the Medical Practice Act.
Among other allegations, the board claims he allowed a physician's assistant to begin a surgical procedure while Ueda was not in the room. The California Office of Administrative Hearings website shows that the medical board case is set for a 10-day hearing starting on July 19. According to an article in the LA Times, medical and court records indicate that Ueda was convicted in 2005 of defrauding a medical supply company of nearly $1 million. Ueda was also a plaintiff in the May 2010 Court of Appeal unpublished opinion where he attempted to sue the State Compensation Insurance Fund and one of their attorneys, Bruce M. Roth. In the State Fund civil case, Ueda claimed more than $2 million in lien claims for medical treatment given to injured workers. He attempted to sue the State Fund and their attorney, Roth, for abuse of process in response to the State Fund fraud investigation that was underway against him. The trial court dismissed his lawsuit against the fund and Ueda appealed. In May, the Court of Appeal ruled that both Roth and the state fund were protected by California's anti-slap statute. The LA Times also claims that the Berkshire Hathaway Insurance Company was withholding several million dollars in payment on Ueda medical claims. Ueda has now left the country. Ueda's attorney, Henry Fenton, said his client had nothing to do with the murder. Fenton said he was unaware of any of the allegations about the payment to park or medical fraud. According to his attorney, Ueda is now traveling outside the country and is unreachable. Santa Monica police said there could be more arrests in the case. They ask anyone with information or who has had any relationship with either suspect to call Lieutenant Mike Boots at 310-458-8488. And in regulatory news, a new study confirms that the Disability Evaluation Unit delays in issuing rating reports exceed the statutory timeline. Some have complained that it can take over a year for the DEU to issue a rating on a QME report for an unrepresented worker. The delay is preventing parties from closing the claim while fostering dissatisfaction on all sides. The problems are compounded when there is a deficiency in the report which requires clarification by the QME. The claims administrator is not allowed to request a supplemental report until the DEU has issued the rating. According to the study performed by the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation, ratings were prepared an average of 104 days after the DEU received the medical legal reports. Summary ratings are issued on QME reports in unrepresented cases and consultative ratings are issued in represented cases. The average delay was 129 days for unrepresented cases and 84 days for represented cases. Labor Code Section 4061E requires that the summary rating be issued within 20 days of receipt of the QME report. The study claims that the DEU greatly exceeds the statutory timeline. DWC management appears to be working to reduce the delay despite well-known resource constraints. 
The backlog existed before the furloughs of DWC employees began, but the loss of 15% of working days adds to the challenges ahead. And now, our special report on California Self-Insured Employer Groups, or SIGs. Small California employers are seeking lower rates and better service by self-insuring in these industry groups. These self-insured insurance pools give employers more control over how claims are handled and keep a lid on costs, although there is some risk. Over the last six years, businesses have formed almost three dozen of these pools in industries from trucking to credit unions. One of the fastest growing pools is the home improvement industry, growing from 55 to 120 members in the last year. State law requires members to put more money in the pools if claims costs increased for those in the self-insured group. That risk has not deterred employers. According to the Office of Self-Insurance Groups, the number of employers participating in these groups has tripled since 2005. This week, one pool, the Home Improvement Self-Insured Group, has received state approval to provide coverage to an expanded list of retail store operations other than just home improvement. The regulatory approval takes immediate effect and will make this group the only workers' comp self-insured group program available to many other types of retail stores. Some of the stores in the group hopes to attract include sporting goods, drug stores, hobby and crafts, electronics, beauty supply, art supply, and gift shops. Garth Smith, the chair of the board of trustees of this group, expects significant growth ahead for the group program. The apparent success of these self-insured employer groups in California is the opposite of what is happening in New York. New York Governor David Patterson wants to rein in the use of self-insured trusts in the Empire State. This follows the recommendation of a task force formed in the wake of several high-profile trust collapses in New York over the last several years. Self-insured trusts in New York are used by groups of similar employers who pool their resources to self-insure for workers' compensation insurance. The trusts have been a major concern for years as insolvencies in New York of over a dozen trusts have created headaches for state regulators. Financial problems triggered a major lawsuit by solvent trusts over assessments they were forced to pay. According to the task force, there are 15 insolvent trusts in New York with an estimated combined deficit of nearly a half billion dollars. Much of that deficit has been attributed to self-insured trusts administered by CRM Holdings. New York is suing CRM for its role in creating these financial problems. New York governor has introduced legislation that would institute the recommendations of the task force. So far in California, six pools have voluntarily disbanded because the employer members did not want to make additional contributions to meet the state requirement of 135% of the anticipated cost of claims. California had to bring in a conservator to run a seventh pool made up of building contractors until it could be disbanded. 
However, no California regulator has sounded any alarm over the viability or continued growth of self-insured groups in California. Or did they see any need to change the regulatory scheme of these groups? And in other industry news, the city of Maywood says it may be a business model for other cities during these tough times. The city lost their liability and workers' compensation insurance in June and responded by laying off virtually every city employee and disbanding its police department. They now claim that their decision could serve as a business model for other struggling cities. The Maywood mayor claims that many cities across the country are following Maywood's action closely and even calling for more information. In light of decreased municipal money from the state and federal government, small and large cities across the country are looking for innovative and cost-effective strategies. Recently, the city of Bellflower declared a state of fiscal emergency and placed a temporary revenue measure on the November ballot. In the Bay Area, the city of San Carlos is considering dismantling its police department and outsourcing police services. The Maywood City Council last week unanimously approved a plan to begin contracting law enforcement services with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. The contract will cost $3.6 million a year. However, the cost of operating Maywood's own police department has been estimated at $7.8 million a year. It seems that Maywood will solve their insurance problem and save millions of dollars in the process. The City Council also agreed to contract human resources, finance, records management, and parks and recreation with the neighboring city of Bell. Maywood would be, would be billed about $50,000 a year for these services, which would be a savings of over $164,000 a year. CNA Financial Corporation announced the official opening of its newest branch office in Los Angeles. The office is located in the city's new downtown at 915 Wilshire Boulevard. Connie Taylor, recently appointed branch vice president, will lead the Los Angeles office. In addition to this office, CNA has opened new branch offices in Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Birmingham, Alabama. A new branch office is scheduled for later this year in Westchester County, New York. Tom Mutamid, CEO at CNA, believes the new offices will enable CNA to penetrate the robust market and diverse industries of Los Angeles. In addition, CNA will add resources and point-of-sale authority to this location and its nearby Woodland Hills office. CNA is the country's seventh largest commercial insurance writer and the 13th largest property and casualty company. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPod, or your iPad by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Folds with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us, and please visit us again next week for more news.